0: We'll be in Psalm 103 this morning. You're welcome to turn there. Before we start, though, I wanted this morning to say thank you to everyone who showed up yesterday and the days before that for our giveaway uh, it was an incredible success yesterday, our biggest giveaway ever. If you don't know what this is, every year we gather furniture and household appliances and all kinds of stuff over at the Anderson campus, and we give all of it away for free to incoming international students, new students to a and from other countries. They don't, all they have is suitcases with them. We give them furniture, we load it on trucks, take it to their place, give it to them, and, and here's why. Let me show you a couple interviews from yesterday. A lot of my Chinese friends uh, told me th- those people from church, they are very nice. So I really should have the chance to uh, take part in this uh, big family to feel it. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty excited and, yeah, setting up my home, my own home. I feel uh, it's, it's like now we are part of the community. So uh, as a community, we are sharing things. That's a very good thing. And... Uh, I have never seen such thing before. I have never seen such thing before. That's the money line. That's what it's all about. I've never seen such thing. The International Student Furniture Giveaway is about us getting to show the world the supernatural love of Jesus Christ. The whole point is to show them that there is something here that does not exist anywhere else. I cannot tell you how many of those students said to us yesterday... Why are you doing this? No one does this. This is ridiculous. Yes, it is. It is ridiculous how good God is to us. And so thank you everyone who helped us make this a success. This was the 14th anniversary of the giveaway. It started out with just little appliances on six tables. That was it. Literally six tables with some stuff and some people came and got it. 14 years later, we filled 12,000 square feet, multiple levels. We had to stack the furniture we gave away so much. So thank you to everyone who made that a possibility. Now, speaking of anniversaries, you may not realize this, but this month, and I think it's this day, is actually the eight-year anniversary of Southwood since we opened the doors that first year. Yeah, it doesn't feel that long ago. It's amazing to think about. That first year, we averaged about 640 adults, students, kids, children's babies, all the way down, about 640 a Sunday. now we 're up to 1800 every Sunday during the fall. So we are a big church by every definition, just Southwood, not even thinking about the other campuses. We are a huge church, and when such a big church, it can feel hard to find your place. To get connected and and find where you fit in. And so I want to give you a few ways that you can get connected here at Southwood if you're new. The first is actually really exciting. We've never done this before. Grace Game Day on September 7th. That's an error in your bulletin. Just so you know it says September 8th in the bulletin. It's September 7th, Wednesday, 6 to 8.30 p.m. Right here at Southwood. We're inviting everyone to come. We're going to have food trucks in the parking lot. We're going to have athletes here signing autographs. And a few of the key... Athletes at our school, Trevor Knight, starting QB, Jasmine Babers, Anem's Volleyball's middle blocker, and Coda Martin, offensive lineman, will be speaking at this event. We want everyone to come. It's free. There's no sign up. You just show up. Um, we're going to have ministry tables out in the foyer where you can sign up for small groups or any service opportunities. Some place where you can really make a home here at Southwood. So we would love to have you come, and we would love if you're willing for you to bring a roommate or a neighbor or a friend who doesn't yet have a church. They can come and get introduced to Southwood and find a family here at Grace. So that's your first opportunity to get connected. Second, um, parents of kids, if you have kids in the home, so they're between like birth and 18, haven't launched them to college yet, we have a class on Sunday mornings for you called Home Builders. And the next two weeks, that class, so not this week, but next Sunday and the Sunday after, is going to go through Discover My Ministry, where we help you to discover how God has gifted you and called you to be part of this church family. And so we'd love to have you join that and, and come for two weeks, and then we hope that you'll find a home there, that you'll come to home builders week after week and find a community where you can have fellowship and you'll find people who you can cry with when your kids do dumb stuff it's a wonderful home away from home for you so home builders here at grace Now, if you're already connected to a small group or a ministry, whether it's Grace or someone else, and you would like to help other people connect, we have a number of opportunities, particularly opportunities for the 50,000 college students who are about to show up. Some of you are already here. We got a lot of people coming, and many of them are freshmen who are totally new to this town. They're not connected at all. We would love to have your help connecting incoming freshmen with Grace Bible Church, helping them to find a a home here. And so there's a few ways to do that. number one, if you're a family and would be willing to adopt an Aggie, please sign up for that. All of these opportunities, you just sign up at the website at the bottom, grace-bible.org events. Adopt an Aggie is where you have an Aggie into your home, maybe once a month, cook a meal for them. They'll love it. Let them do their their dirty laundry. Let them have a little home away from home. You get to build a friendship with them and show them the love of Jesus in a really practical way. So that's adopt an Aggie. Um, We need mentor couples for our merge ministry. Merge is an eight week curriculum that walks dating and engaged couples through a number of biblical lessons that help them prepare for marriage. And so if you've been married for a while, if you've got a strong marriage, we would love to have you be a mentor couple for that. We also need mentor couples for our college ministry. So it actually meets not this week, but starting next week at 11 a.m. here at Southwood, right through the foyer. We have college students at tables and we put a mentor couple at each table to help coach those college students and and love on them and help them as they adjust to life here in College Station. So if you're a a mature, godly couple, we need four more mentor couples for college class. Um, Finally, last thing on the list, life after college. We here at Southwood, we're going to have a lot of graduating seniors uh, this year who are a little bit terrified about the fact that real life starts for them very soon. And so if you have been living in the real world for a while and are walking with the Lord, we would love to have you be a mentor to some college students. So man, woman, whoever you are, we'd love to have you help some college students prepare for life after college. So again, if you can help us with any of these things, please sign up on that website at the bottom. All right, this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 103 psalm 103 next week we're going to start our fall series which will be second timothy this week psalm 103 and the goal of psalm 103 is to help us to bless or praise the lord and there's a story told of a pastor who was speaking to a group of men and he took a sheet of white paper and he took out black sharpie marker and he colored a black circle in the middle of that sheet of paper and then he held it up and he asked this group of men what do you see and the men quickly responded, black dot. I said, yeah, that, right there, that's good. What else do you see? And there was just silence in the room because we men, were, we're not always the quickest. And so they just kind of looked at it, and stared at him and after a while. He said, what, what else do you see that I'm holding up? And finally, one brave man said, well, nothing. It's just the black dot. And he looked at it and he said, really? Because it seems that you missed the whole sheet of paper, which is much bigger than the tiny little black dot. And then he drew out the lesson. In life, we tend to fixate on the dark stuff, don't we? And lose sight of all of the white, all of the good in our lives. In life, we tend to fixate on the small dot of disappointments and struggles and suffering and pain, and we lose sight of all of the good stuff, all of the blessings, all of the wonderful things that God has given us. That's human nature. We focus on the disappointments and lose sight of the blessings. I do that all of the time, especially this month. It's a timely message for me because it is August in Texas, and I hate August in Texas. I am already sweating by the time I get to work. I need a shower by lunchtime. I hate that feeling of just being so hot, and even more, I hate that my utility bill shows up every month and threatens to bankrupt me because I cannot afford all the water I'm having to put on my lawn and all the electricity for the air conditioning, and I just get grumpy in August. My kids can't go outside because it's so so hot out there and they are so loud and they're always in my house with me and so i just get grouchy in august but it never fails at some point in the middle of the month god gets my attention and he asks me this simple question blake do you recognize that you get to live in a house with an air conditioner do you recognize you have a job in an air-conditioned building that pays for your house with an air conditioning And do you realize that your kids are only loud because they're healthy, and that's what six-year-old kids always are? And do you see that you and Julie and the kids are all healthy, and you have a wonderful church family and amazing friends, you have an incredible amount of blessings in your life, and yet all you can do every day in August is complain? Really? Well, I know I'm not alone in that. That's human nature. We make much of the little dot of life's disappointments and little of the huge page of life's blessings. And so this morning we're going to look at a chapter of the Bible that God gave us to fix this problem. It's designed to give us perspective. Psalm 103 is, is meant to refocus our eyes on the white page of God's blessings. It's designed to take our focus off of the little black dot. So we're going to look at Psalm 103. Let me set the the table for you. Psalm 103 is what's called a praise psalm from the nation of Israel. David wrote it like 3,000 years ago. It was designed to be actually read or even sung by the Israelites when they gathered at the temple to praise the Lord. So it's designed to help them prepare for worship, prepare them to give thanks to God. So let's read this praise psalm. This is exactly what Israel, the songs we just sang in worship to instruments, they would have been singing this song to instruments 3,000 years ago. So this is their praise song. Psalm 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He's mindful that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Anytime that you read a psalm, You should ask yourself four questions. If you want to understand any psalm, ask yourself four questions. First of all, what is the big idea of this psalm? What's the author really trying to get across to us? Second, what does this psalm teach me about me? What does it say about human nature? Third, what does this psalm teach me about God? What does it say about his character, his attributes, his actions? Fourth, how am I supposed to respond? What am I supposed to do with this psalm? How should I apply it? So we're going to ask and answer those four questions for Psalm 103. So let's, let's jump right in. First question, what is the big idea of this psalm? And whenever you're studying psalms, you're studying Hebrew poetry. And you get the big idea for looking, by looking at what's repeated. So a word or a phrase repeated. In Hebrew, they don't rhyme like we do by making, or they don't have rhyming words like we do. They write poetry by repeating ideas over and over again. Sometimes the exact word or a similar phrase. So you look for those repetitions. And in this psalm, you're going to see a phrase repeated many times at the beginning and at the end. And that's the most important place to look. Right at the beginning, right at the end. You're going to see a phrase over and over again. Bless the Lord. That is the big idea. It's repeated at the beginning of the psalm and at the end, six times. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So this is the big idea, but what does that phrase mean? Well, when you hear the word bless and you're in church, you tend to think about God blessing us. That's usually how we use the English word bless. So if you sneeze, I'm going to say, God bless you. Say, God bless Us we can say, God bless America. That's putting God as the subject. He's the one doing the blessing. In that case, blessing is when God gives us something good. That's what it means. When God blesses you, God is giving you something good. But this is the interesting thing. Usually in the Bible, the word is flipped. God is not the subject. God is the object. God is the one receiving the blessing. We are the ones blessing God. That's what's going on in this chapter. We are told to bless God. When humans bless God, we're not giving God something good that God needed. God doesn't need us for anything. To bless God means that God has already blessed us with good. And so we are giving thanks. That's what the word bless means. When you are blessing God, you are giving thanks to God for blessings he's already given to you. That's the basic idea. When David says, bless the Lord, he's saying, give thanks to God. You see that in Psalm 100. Again, look for all the repetition of ideas. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. All four of the underlying words are the same idea. To bless God is to give thanks to God. So this word bless, it's fascinating to me. It works both ways. It describes what God gives to you and it describes how you respond to God. So God blesses you by giving you good, you bless God by giving him thanks. Does that make sense to you guys? So we are challenged to give thanks to God. And David, when he says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, such a churchy word in Hebrew, it just means myself. David is talking to himself here. He's psyching himself up. That's why he's repeating this over and over again. David, bless the Lord. David, come on. Bless the Lord. He, he is motivating himself to say thank you to God. David's basically saying, David, stop and give thanks to God right now. Okay, here's, here's the thing I love about this psalm. I love it that David has to psych himself up to give thanks. I love that because when I think of King David, I tend to put, himself up on, put him up on a pedestal. I know there was the whole Bathsheba thing really bad, but... David was told, this is a man after my own heart. Wouldn't you like God to say that about you? You are a person after my own heart. I hear that about David. I think, man, David, I am not at your level. I don't have the emotions that you do. I don't have the love for God that you do. I'm not as holy as you are. I put David up on a pedestal. And yet here I see, wait a minute. Why did David have to psych himself up to give thanks? Because he wasn't feeling it. If David always felt gratitude towards God, he would not have to tell himself, David, stop and give thanks. He just would always do it. No, this psalm is written to us. It's perfect. It's it's exactly what we were talking about. David struggled just like we do. He would fixate on the dark stuff. He would think about all that he doesn't have, all the disappointments, all the suffering, and he would lose sight of the white page. And so he had to psych himself up to give thanks, just like you have to psych yourself up to give thanks. This psalm is David saying, Stop looking at the black dot and see all the good God has done for you. David, it is time to give thanks. Psalm 103 is not about an emotion. It's not about a feeling. That's not gratitude. Gratitude isn't an emotion. It's not a feeling. You may not know that. Gratitude is a choice. Gratitude is a choice to say thank you to God even when you don't feel it. So in Psalm 103, David is challenging us even though we don't feel grateful, To stop and give thanks for all the good God has done. Specifically for for all of God's benefits in life. Verse 2. David is giving thanks for all of God's benefits. It's kind of a funny word to us. But you can think of it in English like a benefits package. So you go work at a job and they give you a lot of good stuff that all together is called a benefits package. And some of it is small. Like free coke in the break room. And some of it is big. Like the health plan you're going to need if you take advantage of all that free coke every day. So you've got little things and big things. David's saying stop and give thanks for all the things in your life God has done. The small things, the big things, the things in this life, the things in the next life, everything. Stop and give thanks for all the good God has done for you. So the challenge of Psalm 103 is even when you do not feel thankful, will you stop and give thanks to God? Will you choose to say thank you to God for all the good he's done in your life? Small things, big things, all things. So that's a big idea. It's time to give God thanks. Second question that we ask ourselves about any psalm is what is this psalm teaching me about me? What does it say about human nature? Some psalms tell you really good stuff about yourself. This psalm doesn't. (laughs) This psalm tells us bad things about us. Two sad things in particular. The first thing that we learn about ourselves in this psalm is that we are frail and forgettable. Look at verse 3 again. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. We get sick. Even in this modern age, we have so much highly technical medicine and yet we still can't cure the common cold and we still can't cure cancer. We still get sick all the time and worse, not only do we get sick, but eventually we die. We we all die. David brings that out in verse 14 through 16, for he himself, that is God, knows our frame. He's mindful that we are dust, dust. It's here today and then the wind blows and it's gone. That's you. Blown away in an instant. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourishes when the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. Think about the wildflowers here in Texas. They sprang up in April. Now they're completely gone. Not a trace left of them. They're here for two months and then they're gone. Julie and I had to rip out all the plants in her parents' garden and replant it a couple weeks ago. Why? Well... Because even when you water a garden, if it's 104 degrees outside, it's all going to die. And so it all died and we ripped it out and throw it in the compost bin and now it's completely gone. It's not even recognizable. We planted new stuff. It's totally replaced. And David's point is that's you. You are going to die and you're going to fade away and no one's going to remember you. That's the sad reality of life. We're forgettable. Just like the wildflowers, you're gone and no one remembers you. My uncle's really into tracing genealogies and putting together like our extended family tree. And so I'll look at his research. He's been spending years on it. And one part of me finds it fascinating to learn all this stuff about your family lineage. Another part of me finds it incredibly depressing. Because I look at that family tree and I notice that I don't know anyone above my grandparents. No one beyond the gra- I'd never met them. I don't know anything about them. I don't know their victories. I don't know their failures. I don't know their accomplishments. I don't know their struggles. They are not just dead. They're completely forgotten to the human race. And that's going to happen to us. That is just a fact. I am going to die in a hundred years from now. No one will remember my name. I'll be completely forgotten to the human race. Because human beings are frail and forgettable but it gets worse because David wants you to understand not only are you going to die and be forgotten, but you've got a bigger problem than death. You've got the problem of sin. And so throughout the chapter, David uses multiple words to talk about the fact that we do evil things. It makes us guilty before God, guilty in the law of the universe. He uses words like sin. That one we've heard before, verse 10 in Hebrew. Fascinating word. Sin means you're, you're doing archery you're at an archery tournament you have a target you aim for the target and you miss You fall short. You know what's right. You fall short of the right that God wanted you to target in life. Second word that he uses is iniquities in verses 3 and 10. It means to bend or pervert. You know the straight path, the true way, but you bend it, you pervert it, you go off the path God wants you on. He uses the word transgressions in verse 12. Transgress means there's a line in the sand that God says, do not cross and you walk right over it. The point of all four of those words is that we do bad things. We know we're doing bad things. And so we're guilty before God. So human beings, we are frail, forgettable, and sinful. And the point of all that to say is our need is great. We are not as awesome as we think we are. We are in incredible need. Every moment of every day, human beings are incredibly needful. That's what David wants you to understand about yourself. Your need is great, but the psalm is not done yet. Now let's talk about what it reveals about God. Every psalm says something about your creator. This psalm, the point of Psalm 103, is to tell you that as great as your needs are, your God is greater. His great power, his great grace exceeds all of your great needs. So that's where we're going to go next. What does Psalm 103 reveal about God? Well, it reveals the greatness of God's grace and power towards you. So let's start with grace. The bulk of the psalm is about God's incredible grace. So let's review what does grace mean? Grace is when you get something good you don't deserve. So grace is a free gift. If you had to do anything to get it, it's not grace. So grace is good stuff God gives you for absolutely free. So what's the good stuff God has given you in this life for free? Well, there's three things in particular that David lists. So let's walk through each of those. The first is the word loving kindness. It appears four times. You probably read this word many times. It's one of the most frequent words in the Old Testament. Loving kindness sounds kind of weird. In English, it literally means loyal love, which is not a phrase that we use very often, but it's a really cool way to describe God's love. Loyal. What does loyal mean? Well, loyal means that you are committed to someone else no matter what. Loyal love is God's unconditional love. It's God saying that His love for you, His decision to care for you and put your needs up high, is absolutely something He will be loyal to. He will never break that promise, He will never go back against it. His love for you is loyal. And David describes the, the loyalty of God's love in a couple different verses. Look at verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loyal love towards those who fear him. How high are the heavens above the earth? Well, heavens in Hebrew as well as Greek, it describes everything above the ground. Which is like the whole universe. (laughs) The the whole universe, which we don't know how big that thing is. It's basically infinite. At least as far as our minds can conceive. So God's love for you is infinite. That's really important because so many people go through life thinking God's love fits in a bucket. So he's got a bucket's worth of love for you. And every time you sin, a little bit leaks out. So you better get your act together before all of it's gone. Now, God's love for you would fill the entire universe and then some. There is no limit to his loyal love for you. Next verse to look at, verse 17. But the loyal love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting is a phrase that you can read really quickly and pass over and never think about the magnitude of what those words mean. Everlasting means without limit of time. Everlasting to everlasting means infinite time that direction and infinite time that direction. The point of the phrase is to say that God knew you by name and chose you by name to receive his loyal love before time began. And we'll continue to love you that way until after time is over. You see, God is above time. Our God is so great that time is not a limiter to him. So there was not some point in time, four billion years ago, when God decided, hey, I'm going to love Steve from now on. No, there has never been a moment in time in which God did not love you. For as long as time has existed, God has known your name and chosen to love you. It's not even a nanosecond of time in which God has not loved you. That's what the Bible means by loyal love. It means God's choice of you. His commitment to you, to care for you and love you forever, unconditionally. Before time began, after time began, God will always love you to an infinite degree. So his loyal love is the first thing that God has given us in grace. We did not deserve it. We didn't even deserve like a, a tiny little bit of it. It's a completely free gift. Second thing that David tells us that God has given us in grace is compassion. That word appears a number of times in the chapter, four times, Compassion in Hebrew is an, a wonderful word because it is the same word to describe a woman's womb. Which is cool because what God is doing with that word is he's talking about the attachment that a mother has to the child who just came out of her womb. How does a mother love a newborn child? Well, I, I think of the word Commitment. Mother will do anything to take care of the needs of that new infant. That's how God thinks about you. That was illustrated to me when my daughter was born six years ago. Gracie was born with colic. And so for three months, she screamed all the time. She wanted back in the womb. That's the basic idea. And so what Julie had to do was try to simulate the womb for Gracie. So she wore Gracie around all day. So we had this big wrap that Julie would wear and Gracie fit here. And then you'd wrap it around multiple times and tuck it in. It would suck Gracie up against Julie's tummy. And so Julie would wear Gracie around. But the deal is when when a child's in the womb, they're like moving around all the time. And there were two kids in there. So she was getting kicked by her brother. So she wanted to move all the time. And so Julie wore Gracie and did lunges all day, all around the house, lunges all the way down all day long. I would come home from work and like put Gracie on for 10 minutes and I'm worn out. Julie did it for hours. If there was an Olympic sport of newborn care, my wife wins gold. There was nothing she would not do for her little baby girl. And the point of this passage is to say that is how God feels about you. And that's important to think about because for me as a guy, I tend to think about God as the king. He is up there and I am his servant and I hope I do a good job so he does not fire me. But that is not how my relationship with God works. How God describes his relationship is he thinks of me like a mother thinks of her newborn child. Is a mother going to fire her infant baby? No. No. She's going to do whatever it takes to care for the needs of her kid. So that's the second thing that God gives us. There's nothing that you've done to deserve that. Nothing you could ever do to pay back God for treating you with compassion. It's an absolutely free gift. Third free gift that God has given us is forgiveness. In verse 3, David talks about how um, God pardons all your iniquities. And the key word in that verse is the shortest word, all. All of them. Pardons means forgives. We talked about that. Forgive means to let go. You open your hand. You let go of the sin. We've done bad things. God deserves to be able to hold on to those bad things, to hold them against us. And yet he opens his hands. He lets go of them. All of them. The little sins, the big sins, the public sins, even the shameful sins that you don't want anyone to know about. God forgives all of them, past, present, and future. All of it is pardoned. So God has forgiven you of all your sins. Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. God does not give you what you deserve. Just a quick little soapbox. That's why you don't want to live in a fair world. You should not ask God for fairness. Fairness means, verse 10, isn't true. You get what you deserve. You don't have a fair God, you have a gracious God. Thank God that we do. So that's verse 10. Look down at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's my favorite verse in this particular chapter. Because this is how you should think about it. So how far are your sins removed from you? East to west. How, How far is east from west? Measurable distance. Well, to answer that question, go get on a plane this afternoon at Easterwood Airport and fly west. So over Austin, out through Arizona, out through California, Pacific Ocean. Keep going west until you get to a point at which you can no longer go west. When will you land? Never. You're on a globe. There is no limit to west. The distance between east and west on a globe is infinite. So God, when he let go of your sins, you recognize he didn't set your sins over here in the next room. So that if you're a bad boy, he can open the door and remind you. Remember how bad you are and what I did for you? No, those sins are infinite distance from you. They are completely gone. God will never remember those sins. He will never parade them out for you to see. They're gone forever. What did you do to deserve absolute forgiveness? Absolutely nothing. That's why it's grace. If you did a little bit of good, if you paid for even 1% of it, then it's a reward. It's not grace. That's grace because it's an absolutely free gift that God has given to you. So God's grace is great. That's the first thing that David wants us to understand about the Lord. His grace transcends all of our sin. The second thing that he wants us to understand about God is that God is great in power. That's important. It's not just his grace that exceeds our need. It's his power towards us that exceeds our need. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Over all. All in Hebrew is a comprehensive term. It means absolutely everything that is not God is subject to God. That means people, all nations, all people. It means animals, all living things, period. All planets, all stars, all life, including angelic life. Everything is subject to God. That even includes fallen angels. I don't know if you guys think about that often. We're warned in the Bible that Satan is an incredibly powerful enemy who is at work in our lives all the time trying to deceive us. It is good to remember that as powerful as he is, he is still, as Luther liked to say, God's lapdog. Satan can do nothing without God allowing it to be so. Because God is sovereign king over all. Every single thing living or non-living in existence, God rules over it sovereignly. So God has infinite power in every way to care for all of our needs. And so here's the point. David just finished telling us that we are frail and forgettable and sinful. He proved to us that our need is great. Now he has shown us that even though our need is great, our God is greater. His power and his grace is greater than all of our need. And that gives us hope. Because we just talked about this really brutal fact that we are frail and forgettable. We're going to die and be forgotten by the human race. You realize most people try not to ever think about that reality. And the moment that that reality comes to their mind, they reach for the shot glass. Just going to drown it out as fast as they can. You have the answer. You are going to be forgotten by the human race. A hundred years from now, no one will know or care about you. But you know what? That's okay. Why? Because you have a God who will remember and care about you individually by name forever. A God who has always cared about you from infinite time past to infinite time future. He will always know your name. He will always care for you. He will always love you. He will always forgive you. And he has such infinitely great power that death is not a problem for God. God is going to raise you from the dead. You're going to get this body back perfected and you're going to live with God for infinite time in a perfect bliss called heaven. That is your future and that's what gives you hope in the face of death. That's why Christians can be truly hopeful people. We don't have to get drunk to make it through the day because we know, yeah, we're going to die and be forgotten by humanity, but that's okay because God will never forget. He will raise us up and give us life. He will be our father who loves us infinitely for all time. So that's an incredible truth. It gives us hope in the midst of all the pain and suffering of life. That leads us to our fourth question. How do we respond? What do we do with this incredible truth about God's great power and grace towards us? The first thing is you got to believe it. Psalm 103 is nothing more than empty words to you unless you believe that it's true. That's how God's grace always works. It goes to those who believe it. Those who receive it and say, yeah, I I want that. I believe it's true. I want that in my life. Please, God. Then he gives you all of these things. Now, the wonderful thing for us compared to David is that we know a whole lot more about God's grace. We know what it costs God to give us loyal love. We know that God, about a thousand years after David, sent his son Jesus. Jesus to live a perfect life and then take all of our sins upon himself and die in our place and then rise triumphant from the grave so that we could have eternal life as a free gift. The moment that you believe that that's true for you, the moment that you say to God, thank you for the gift of eternal life and love and compassion and forgiveness that you have made possible in Jesus. The moment you say, thank you, all of this is true for you. So the first response to Psalm 103 is we got to choose to believe it. It only has power in our lives when we choose to believe. Second thing that this psalm says to us is that we need to give thanks. That's pretty obvious. That's what the whole psalm is about. I was convicted, though, as I worked through the psalm as I studied it. This, you can think of it, it's a worship song, but first it was a prayer from David to God. So imagine this is a prayer. It's 22 verses. that's kind of it takes some time to read it. It's kind of long. Did you notice that there's something missing in those 22 verses? There is never a request. David doesn't ask God for anything. When was the last time that you prayed and didn't ask for anything? It's been a long time for me. I'm convicted over that because what do I do? Well, again, I focus on the black dot. I bow before the Lord and all I see is everything lacking in my life. So all I do is ask, God, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this, please. David is reminding us, no, let's first stop and give thanks because the white page is a whole lot bigger Than the little black dot so my challenge for you this coming week try it once I hope you'll do it multiple times though next time that you pray to God I want you to set a timer on your phone or your watch and I want to force you to spend five minutes only listing things you're thankful for before you ask for anything so next time you pray the first five minutes all you can do is say thank you to God Just list out reasons that you are thankful. List out good things God has done for you or done in your life. Five minutes of gratitude before you can ask for something. The good news is that if you begin to practice that habit, it it really will change your life. It will help grow your walk with God in every way. I like to think of gratitude as spiritual duct tape. Men, we know if something breaks, duct tape will fix it. Anything that's broken, you can fix with enough duct tape. Well, in the spiritual life, gratitude is your duct tape. Whatever is wrong with you, whatever is broken in your relationship with God, whatever is broken in your heart or soul, it can be fixed with the practice of gratitude. If you will build this habit of giving thanks to God, you will feel closer to God. Your worship will grow. Temptation will lessen in your life. Obedience will grow in your life. You will find yourself loving God more. You will find yourself loving other people more. Everything will get better if you will practice gratitude. And so I want you to spend five minutes giving thanks. And if you're thinking, well, Blake, I'd do that, but what can I be thankful for? Well, let me give you one suggestion. I would suggest that you should be thankful that you're here this morning and being here this morning will probably not cost you your job tomorrow. You recognize there's a large percentage of our brothers and sisters in Christ who, if they go to church today, they'll lose their job tomorrow or they'll go to jail tomorrow or they'll be executed tomorrow. You live in a country where they let you come to church and sing about Jesus and read the Bible and tell people you're a Christian and no one throws you in jail. Because if you're an American, you are incredibly blessed. I always say, God bless America. Can we please flip that around? America, bless God. We are already incredibly blessed. I promise you, this will make this whole election cycle go much better in your mind if you will remember that whether Hillary wins or Trump wins, we are still blessed to live in this country. We get to gather with our brothers and sisters and proclaim the name of Jesus and not lose our jobs the next day. We are incredibly fortunate. And so please, this next week, next time you sit down to pray, set a timer on your phone or your watch, force yourself five minutes of giving thanks before you can ask for anything. And you will see gratitude grow in your hearts and it will improve everything in your life. So let's practice that by doing it right now. If you'll bow with me, Heavenly Father, we want to stop right now and we want to give thanks to you. Lord, you are a good, good father. You love us. We are not worthy of that love. We, we've not earned one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent of your love, and yet you've given it to us as a free gift. We praise you for that. We thank you that you chose to love us by name before time began. There has never been a moment of time in which you did not know us and love us with your loyal, compassionate love. And there will never be a moment in the future in which you will not love us with your compassionate, loyal love. We're so thankful for that, God. Thank you that you have chosen to love sinners like us. Thank you that you paid such a cost for that love. That your own son Jesus gave his life and his breath so that we could have forgiveness. Thank you that you raised him from the dead to show to us that death is nothing but a doorway into a better life. Thank you Lord that we can face our frailness and our forgettableness with hope. Thank you that we know that even though the human race will not remember us, you will never forget us. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. We praise you for your power. We praise you and thank you that you are more powerful than our greatest enemy, that Satan is nothing compared to you, that this world is nothing compared to you. We praise you that you are sovereign over every detail of our lives, that there is not a nanosecond of life that goes by when you are not in control. We thank you that you know all things, that you have infinite power, and that you always use that power in accordance with your grace to bring good in our lives. When we say that you are a good, good father, we mean that absolutely everything that you have ever done for us is always completely, unapproachably good. We thank you for that, God. We thank you that it's true whether we feel it or not. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our thanksgiving. We look forward to the semester ahead. We thank you that you have given us life, that you have given us breath. We praise you that we get to be here in the United States, in this church, worshiping you and singing about you and not worrying about losing our jobs or going to prison tomorrow. We are so blessed to know you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your compassion for us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. Who's made it all possible? In his perfect name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. If you want to get ahead, next week we'll start Second Timothy, so you can start reading that.